Hello listeners, so this is the second podcast that we're releasing this week after yesterday's uh, Netherlands national team chat. So this pod is all about the Eredivisie, all about the Dutch top flight. Hope you enjoy it. Don't forget also to give us a like on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. You can download us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Subscribe to us if you're new. And keep the comments coming as well. We love your feedback. We're really happy that you're enjoying our podcasts. But keep it keep it coming. Let us know what's good. Maybe what needs to improve. Also comments on the area of the national team. We'd love to hear from you. It's um, a very interesting derby. Always one that appears to be um, played very early. Um, it's um, half past 12, half past, um, 12 dash time. And... Um, yeah, Vitesse are playing at home. Uh, they're, got, uh, they're in a, a good vein of form. Nijmegen are struggling. I must admit, in the head-to-heads, uh, Nijmegen have won more. So uh, that could also play a role. But I think with uh, Vitesse being at home, I, I think they'll win. But uh, it's it, from obviously Arnhem and Nijmegen, there is a, a rivalry which isn't really, really friendly. They, they don't really like each other too much. And it's... Nice. Uh, it's always an interesting watch for game, whether it's played at Nijmegen or in Arnhem. It's always an interesting watch, but uh, my prediction will be that uh, Vitesse will win uh, 2-1. You think it'll be that close? Because personally, I, I can see a, a bit of a walkover from Vitesse. I know the game's always close, it's going to be a derby, um, but I'm not so sure on this occasion, only because NSA are coming to the end of the season, it hasn't gone well for them. Um, they've lost seven of the last ten. Whereas Vitesse, they're only going up. Like they've had a, a tough start to the season, but it's only got better, and it's coming to a point now, leading into the cup final as well, where they're going to come in with some form. I also can see, I, I mean, NSA have got tons of foreigners, and I think that will have an effect on the derby, um, because Vitesse will have Goran Kasia, Van Voorswinkel, Bootner, lots of players in the squad that know what it's like to play these games. They know what it means. I spoke to an NSA fan, actually, um, not too long ago, and it's like they bite his heads off. They, they, it's a really bitter rivalry. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it, all the passion will, will see, be seen in uh, the test players more than NSA. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a must-win for both sides because the test really need to win to put, to put some pressure on Utrecht in, in fourth. And they've got four losses in the last uh, six. And uh, they're, they're also lucky that Hernveen have also got on a poor run of form just below them. So they really need to win to really look to get higher in the Eredivisie. And um, Nijmegen need to, to win to really start to put some distance between themselves and Rhoda in 16th. And, but I, I think just because of that aspect, both teams need to win. Um, it's going to be quite close. And I think um, there's there's been times that uh, NSC have, have set up well for the bigger games, and I think it's it's probably going to be one of those games where where they where they set up better than usual, um, where they they try to counter attack and. Um, Vitesse give them the space, but uh, I think Vitesse will edge it just because of the quality of their players and Van Hoelswinkel has been one of the most sort of underrated signings of this uh, season because I think 
how long has it been since the test had an experienced striker that's going to stay for more than a season and you know uh you can see how how that's affected uh rashika because uh, last season he was one of the top scorers and now this season where uh, there isn't such a high reliance on him to be a scorer he's more of an assistant provider now and more of a natural winger and i think um it's going to be it's going to be a good match to watch especially uh with two um with two managers who really need to win the game you go back on the, on the Michael's point as well about NSA having a lot of foreign players i think the supporters will demand that the foreign players playing for Nijmegen understand what this game means I don't think it will completely go over their heads. I think the supporters will be in, will be in a, a t- determined mood to let them know that this uh, this game should mean as much to the players as it does to the fans. And um, yeah, I, I just think it will be a, a very interesting game. And uh, I can just see uh, I can just see Vitesse edging it purely because it is a derby. I, 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 I can't see it being a four-one or three-nil uh, to be honest. Yeah, and I think uh, it's some—it's a game that a lot of people should certainly tune into because there's a lot of young talent on show in that game. Uh, you've got players like Rashika, Lewis Baker, um, Kevin Dykes. Uh, on NAC side, you've got uh, Mohamed Raihi, who left PSV last season. Um, Jay Roy Grot, who's who's been who scored five goals in the Eredivisie this season, and he's 19. Very strong player, very mobile, can play in any of the front three positions. And you've also got Kev, uh, Kevin Mai and uh, Freddie Carioglu. And I think it's um, you've got um, a lot of talented young players, and uh, you've got two coaches who are sort of trying to move up on the hierarchy and. But, uh, yeah, it's gonna be a ma- it's gonna be a match to watch, and there's a lot of talent But I think I think Vitesse edge it just because uh, they have more quality and um, they they need that win more, not to slip out slip out of the um, playoff places just in case they don't win the cup final, and just to put some pressure on AZ and Utrecht as it's been. Uh, uh, to so they can actually make a proper run for the Europa League automatic places. Mm. Just just to make one final point on the Gelderse derby, uh, be interesting to see about uh, Navarone Four, who played for f- uh, five seasons at NSA Nijmegen and transferred back to. Um, to, uh, transferred to Vitesse at the start of this season, so uh, obviously he's making, uh, he's returning, uh, he's, he's play, playing against the team that he, uh, he used to play for. So it will be interesting how well he's received from uh, from the Nijmegen supporters making such a controversial move. Yeah, that's quite a controversial move for him to do that, um, and I think he got some backlash from the fans in the last match when NSA got a last minute draw with the test, which would actually suggest to me as well that this could be a tighter match than I originally thought. Um, I think I still, bit, still predict 3-0 the test myself. Um, I do think the quality will tell. But uh, yeah, no, I think again with uh, NSA, um, I'm looking at their away form, 
the Neodivisie, and they have won two, uh, drawn three, and lost all the rest of their away games this season, and against bigger teams as well. 4-0 four, four, four away to Feyenoord, 3-1 away to PSV, 2-0 at RZ, 5-0 at Ajax. Um, I just wonder if they'd be overrun here, maybe a little bit, but we'll see what Vitesse can bring as well, because um, Vitesse have been on and off this season. They, they, they struggle to really put teams away, and that was what their problem was early in the season, last season, where they couldn't win games by a bigger margin or get those goals and then end up conceding late goals, late equalisers, late uh, winners to lose the game. Um, and they are showing a better strength now at this point of the season. But have they got the quality to come fourth place as well as a cup final? That would, would be an extremely good season, don't you think? Yeah, I think um, I, I can't see them... Uh, coming fourth, but I uh, I can definitely see him winning the cup final, and I think should they win kind of a Bay, uh, cup for the first time in their history, I think it will be a fantastic achievement for the club. Uh, yes, I, yeah, I think it will be a good season if they come fourth and win the cup final. Um, I can I can I can I think fourth is um, it can go to anyone right now because. No, you threat Alkmaar. They haven't really managed to pull away with um, Henvin and um, the test where, uh, as that form has dropped. And you know, FC Twente are also one of the surprise packages of the season, and they're also in the running in sixth place. So, um, and especially in this game, both managers need to win because four losses in the last six for Vitesse, five losses in the last six for NEC. Um, and they're both fighting uh, a European battles and a relegation battle. And uh, I, I think Hibala, he's, he sort of can set his team up uh, better for um, the, not, not not exactly the creme de la creme of their WC, like Five Mode, Ajax, and PSV, but sort of uh, the lower teams there, he can set his team up and really um, sort of have a go and he's, he's got he's got those players to use and you know you can see him sort of going with with a, with the back five um, and to really try and frustrate the test and I think I think it's gonna I'm, I'm, I'm predicting a 3-1 but uh, both teams score and uh, the test win by a very slender lead Another big game this weekend is between Arda Den Haag and Rory SA. Um, either of those teams, the win, could start to make the distance between themselves and NSA. Um, what do you, do you think there? I think there'll be a winner. I, I can't see that game being a draw. And considering Rory SA at home, it's always difficult for most clubs to go to Granada. I'm edging towards uh, ODSA purely because they're at home. I think they might sneak a win, and then their chances to avoid the relegation playoffs uh, would have been would have been uh, enhanced an awful lot. But um, I think other than Ach, they're not completely out of the picture. I, I don't think they're uh, they're gone as just yet. But um, I think in the case of other than Ach, their home form is going to be vital. They need to they need to start winning. Uh, winning more at home. Yeah, I think Rhoda have improved ever since um, after the winter break and 
uh, one of the best performers is sort of uh, Mr. Paulison, uh, who was very highly rated as a young winger and who um, has managed ever since uh, sort of the back end of January has managed uh, three goals and two assists in, in a run of games and he's now the top scorer and uh, he's near the top, the top assister. And I think players like that have, have, have started to improve and come through for Roda. And, you know, it's a scrap at the bottom. So it's another it's another match where both teams have to go for a win. Um, Ardo, it's, it's, been, it's been a very, very underwhelming season for them. Uh, especially with the players that they have and the players that they yeah. have coming through their academy. It's, everything there has just gone horribly wrong from top to bottom with the ownership and um, they couldn't facilitate a proper coaching change. We just talked about Vitesse. Hank Fraser, his team is now in the, the cup final and, um, and and now now in the top seven. And he managed to stay up quite comfortably with that adult team. So that's maybe another feather in his cap. But everything has just crumbled for Ado, and they, they, they sh- you expect them to be better because they're an uh, established Eredivisie team. But uh, they really need to sort themselves out, especially uh, with their can be stepping to help them with that ownership thing. I think the ownership question of Ado Den Haag has affected them. I think it dragged on for far too long with... Uh, Everybody asking for clarity in terms of uh, Wang and what his intentions were. Uh, just Shabtu just mentioned Henk Fraser. He actually left Arden Haag to go to Vitesse. And if you look what a sterling job he's doing there, I think if um, Ardo would have had a little bit more insight and a little bit, a bit, a little bit more forward thinking, they could well find themselves in a in a better position. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with Alphonse Groenendijk and whether, whether or not they do stay up because um, then should they not, for example, then you're maybe looking at another change of manager for Ardo. If they do, do they continue with Groenendijk? Do they look to see who else may be, uh, may be interested in trying to get the club to go to move forward? Uh, I've been watching Ardo um, a fair bit in the home games recently and they, they almost look frightened to, to shoot. Uh, they don't create enough opportunities, and they do get do look to get things from set pieces. And um, this, I, I don't know, the home match could be a big difference to them. Uh, but I, it depends what road to turn up. They're very, very defensive, uh, and I just wonder if I'll try and try and sneak a draw again, as I've done on several other occasions this season. Yeah. I just wanted to add, add I uh, mistakenly said that the game would be played in Caracalada. I'm thinking very, very early you say we're actually at home when it's actually Ardo Den Haag at home. So I, did, I did, yeah, I did wonder that, guys. Yeah. I, I had to double check yeah. it. <laughs> I was like, oh, is that right? <laughs>
there's been some really uh, weird decisions, like loaning out Dennis van der Heiden after he came on at the back end of last season. And you talk about a young striker that scored two goals on his debut and scored a few other goals at the back end of last season to loan out to the ESWC. Um, it's sort of, sort of allowing him to get game time in. And it's not like uh, they had a world-class striker in his place to really um, to really uh, keep him out of the side. He could have got into the side. And, you know, you think maybe... Uh, spending sort of a season in the ESWC, having a, a sort of coaching change to uh, and have, having a chance to bring through some of the youngsters and make a squad of the young talent there will sort of be conducive for them going forward. Yeah, I agree with your point about Van der Heiden, uh, because Mike Havanagh last season looked like he was the striker that that none of the other other players could displace and it felt like van der Heijden, maybe that's why he was loaned out as well because he wanted first team football and felt that Havanagh was a big threat to his place but what's Havanagh been doing this season has been very as you said well, underwhelming um he's been poor uh, and hasn't contributed enough he should I my opinion should be comfortably getting pushing double figures and with his goals they could have been further at the table as well it's a shame that van der Heijden has been loaned out yeah, I think um, Dennis Van der Heiden should have told, been told you're only 20 years old. I think you can learn more here with uh, Mike Havenard than can you learn more out on loan. And um, it's a shame because they do have talented players. Uh, um, they do have, I think Danny Backer is, is a proper defensive midfielder. He's tigerish in the tackle. He, um, he's not. He's not too. Um, he's sort of the old-fashioned defensive midfielder uh, in sort of the English versions, and uh, he's different to all of his peers uh, in that. And I think um, he he should have also been given a chance to sort of develop in the Eredivisie. And he's been one of the, although he's been one of the main players. It's it's been. And lucky for him because he's been involved in a faulty team, a faulty structure, and faulty ownership. And you've got Tommy Burke or Syke as well at centre back, who's a very good player. Last season, he had a very solid season and was linked with Leeds United. Um, they went on to sign Pontus Janssen in the end, who's become probably the Championship English Championship defender of the season. Um, but yeah, like he's had a, a very dodgy season, up and down, making mistakes. But then he's also a leader. When they have had a clean sheet, it's because Berkelsdijk has been key in that match. Yeah, and uh, he's he's also sort of a good human captain. Uh, the uh, the players really seem to react off him and respect him, but he's also willing to have a laugh with them. And um, if they. They, if they do get relegated, him he's probably gonna go. There's there's teams in the lower, the mid to low table who will definitely take him and definitely can use him. Uh, so um, I think uh, he he's he's 
worked hard this season and he's he's still a very good player and at only 26 there's still a lot he can do in the Eredivisie. To elaborate on uh, Tom uh, Bogelstijk, um, I think uh, the interest from Leeds was surprising, especially for himself. Uh, when he was questioned on it by the Dutch media, he basically not not shied away from it, but said that the interest from Leeds United didn't appear to be concrete enough. And considering how well respected he is by the Ardo supporters, he's slowly but surely becoming a, a cult hero at the club. And um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens to him if they do go down. And I think from the striker's point of view with Ardo, with Duplan and Ruben Schaken, they could have also um, produced a little bit more. Duplan, when he was at Utrecht, was so, so dangerous on a regular basis. And um, maybe he felt he needed a change of scenery and chose, uh, chose Ardo Den Haag and uh, Ruben Schaken as well when he was... Um, when he was at Feyenoord, he played over 100 games for Feyenoord. And, um, yeah, so be, I think from the from the striker's point of view, those two strikers could have uh, could have um, got involved a little bit more, scored a few more goals to push Ardo a little bit higher up the league than where they currently are. Yeah, just a final point on Duplant. Um, he, when he joins Ardo, he said he wants to leave at Utrecht for Ardo for a new challenge. And because of the club's ambition, where's that gone? Um, yeah, it's it's all gone wrong at Ardo, I think, in the club structure. And it's a shame that players like him have probably been left a bit disappointed, actually, at the end of his career, not being able to have one last real good challenge. Well, I, I, I think in the case of uh, when he left Utrecht, there were wrangling contract negotiations. And I think he was growing a little bit tired of that and also wanting a move. I will be uh, interviewing him on, in April, so I look forward to asking him a few questions to get a little bit, of, little bit of a clearer picture. But um, also, he has uh, he's played in, in the French second division. He's a he's a good he's a good footballer, a very interesting footballer. So um, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if we can find out more in that respect. Um, sticking with the relegation battle, Twente go ahead Eagles. You've got Twente who are in the sub top the top eight of the league, um, looking good, pretty solid, not giving too much away, but maybe not also setting the world the world alight. Um, but and, and not forgetting they can't play European football next season. So there maybe is a bit of an issue there. Maybe there's not uh, much to play for uh, against Go Ahead Eagles and the Eagles will be looking for a massive win. Yeah, uh... Twente have sort of done well this season with the Lonies and as you know, being the one from Manchester City with 13 goals this season and um, go ahead have sort of made those uh, essential loans too late. They made them in January and that was uh, way too late to start gelling a team for relegation battle. And now they've also sacked their manager. And interestingly, in the Dutch media this week, they were talking about uh, Pep Linders from Liverpool, who was working with Klopp as a future manager there. But I think um, he's sort of someone that's highly respected. He, he could stay at Liverpool, probably get an Eredivisie job at a, a much better club. And um, uh, I, I, I see Go Ahead really giving... Um, Turn to a battle 
they've still got uh, a lot of talented young players. Uh, you know, um, sort of um, Chiravella and Dan Crowley have sort of come in and, and, and done well. And so has Manu from Brighton and Wellbeing. So I think th- those players are really good players and sort of Sander Duits at the at the base of midfield in a midfield three with Chervella and Carly is very is very strong, very authoritative, uh, playing with two young two young midfielders. And I think uh, they'll really give um, uh, um, they'll really give Twente a battle because they've also got Twente have got sort of one of the most talented players, Kamahelo. Bocaccio, he's just coming back from South Africa and he's just had a very stressful international break. He actually uh, applied and got Dutch citizenship, but that prevented him from playing for South Africa because um, you, you, ha- you have to forego your other citizenship when you get Dutch citizenship. And so he had to reapply for South African citizenship and he got it. So, he, so he's just uh, come back from all that in his international break, so I think making and and a long journey from South Africa to the Netherlands. So I think um, the the there's a chance that they could not be at the races on that particular day. I think it's very interesting from the manager's point of view that go ahead of uh, appointed Robert Marskant. He himself stated that he's um, he's invested a lot of time in the business world and he's only prepared to do. Uh, to be manager of go-ahead to the end of the season for the remaining seven games, and then, and then that will be that for him, regardless of whether they stay up or not. So I, I think it will be very interesting to see where go-ahead uh, go from here in terms of the next trainer, uh, next manager that they might appoint. Pepe uh, Lays from Liverpool, who is well been mentioned. But you, you also remember that this is a club where you know it's, um, it's given a lot of big names uh, the opportunity to manage Leo Bainhaka, Hengton Carter, who are, have gone on to become household names, and it's it's a club that's definitely got something. It's a club along with uh, with Sparta Rotterdam that when they are in the top division, everyone's pleased to have them there. They're not they're not they may well have been yo 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 in the last couple of years, but uh, go ahead a, a very much um, uh, an Eredivisie club, and they've just had a few difficult years in terms of uh, finding stability. But I'm I think it's Perhaps a little bit of an underwhelming appointment from their part. I'm just interested to see what direction they would take uh, in the future. But I suppose that may well decide on whether they uh, whether they whether they stay up or whether they stay up or not. There's going to be a lot of English club loanees in this match. Uh, what what do you think about the prospects of players such as Dan Crowley? Elvis Manu, Chiriveo, and you've got the three man Stilonis, of course, Chelina, Unal, Yeboa. Um, I mean, it's a bit of a broad question, attack it however you like, but can you see any of these players having big impacts at their clubs or perhaps um, in the Premier League? Can you see them getting very good careers there? Do you think they've got the quality for it? I would. Oh, sorry, sorry Jack, uh, after you. Oh, I think Uno, who's the biggest prospect, especially with the Manchester City striker situation, and you know Pep Guardiola they're managing, and you've got to ask yourself, uh, you know, there's only a few sort of world-class strikers out, out there, and I think Guardiola would 
prefer to develop Una who's got um a lot of talent and um he's he, I think he he's got the sort of biggest chance and he's sort of closer to making the first team where he is um Trevella he's going to Liverpool side that have a lot of midfielders have a lot of midfielders of his ilk he was very highly rated when he went there um when he went to Liverpool and uh I think you would take longer for him uh Crowley he left he came to uh Arsenal um apparently um from Aston Villa also another highly rated talent um and he was loaned out at the beginning of the season and uh the manager where he was on loan um at um sort of sent him back to Arsenal because they said there was a there was a problem with so his attitude which i haven't seen at um at uh go ahead he's been he's been alive while there he's made a few mistakes of course but he's very young he's uh he's brought some creativity though uh he's he's got he's got some good assists uh and he's really willing to do work with the ball there but Arsenal also has a big big midfield that plan on buying other midfielders this 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 year and uh I think it I think another loan is in store for him and I think at 19 years old he's I think he's got another loan in him and uh with regards to Salina and um Yebo in the Eredivisie we've seen a lot of uh sort of loanees like them um you had uh um uh you you had uh, I think I don't again I can't quite remember his name uh, Are you thinking of Miroslav Stock from Chelsea? He was at uh, times the once very similar to Chelina in my opinion. Uh I don't I think um he won the KMVB Cup with Groningen just a few seasons ah, ago. Ah, Rosnak. Yeah, Rosnak uh who came in and he was a Cambo and he did very well there and he moved on to Groningen but he couldn't really uh replicate the form in Eisen and now he's moved to the MLS I believe. So I think you see I don't see them making the Manchester United uh, the Manchester City team rather because Manchester City have invested a, a lot of money in sort of Sané, Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, players of the ilk and I see and I see them sort of being sold off for spare parts. I think with uh, Elvis Manu and Chilavela uh, uh, and uh, Daniel Crowley, I think their future levels may well be championship. Um, um, Daniel Crowley is a, is, a, is a great prospect, but um, as in recent years with Arsenal, going back maybe to the last 10-15, we've always had a, a decent youth, youth team and they're were prospects who were due to come through. Think of Stephen Sidwell, J. Emmanuel Thomas, uh, Ben Chorley, a defender, John Spicer many years ago. And these players always appear on the fringe, but they never they never appear to, to have a regular run in the first team. I think that's down to the club's policy. In particular, I think it's down to the manager, who I remember Arsene Wenger once said, as regards to young players and players that are on the fringes of the squad, that at some point, when you don't play them, you have to sell them. 
And uh, I think with Crowley, I agree with Shaka, another loan, uh, a loan may well be in store. But uh, I think the three players in question, I wouldn't be surprised if they were, um, if, they, if their levels in the future were uh, championship. I think uh, Manu, it's, I think his level is Eredivisie because even at um, Brighton and Hove Albion, he didn't really get into the team and it was sort of befuddling because they had signed a lot of good players the time they signed him and he was expected to be a good player but uh, especially after his last season at um, at Feyenoord where uh, Fred Rutten gave him a, gave him a lot of opportunities and he and he did quite well there and um, he was part of the team that beat Sevilla in the Europa League um the team that um, really he came on against Roma and he scored in the Europa League uh, knockout phase. He scored the goal that kept them in Europe in European football in preseason, and uh, he he's he sort of was really a talented player for Eredivisie level. But I think I don't think um, so. I don't think Championship level. I think it's just a step too high for him right now because. He's at spells that uh, he he was loaned out from Brighton to a Championship club and he st- he failed to break through there. He failed to break through at Brighton. Uh, they didn't quite rate him very highly. Uh, they sort of thought of him as an anomaly with all the good signings they made in the last two years. That he was sort of the only one that um, hasn't really performed as expected. But with when he's come into the air division. He's so he's very strong, very quick. I uh, he really troubles his fullback and um, re and he's also done this against uh, sort of PSV and um, the bigger teams and AZ and he's really troubled them and been a thorn in, in their side. Uh, so I think Erdovici is his his level as a winger. I see what you're saying, Chuck, about Manu. Um, I think. I think we should be careful of the wording of, of its, as its level because I still think the Eredivisie is a very challenging league. But the difference compared to the Championship, of course, is the physicality. Um, in the in the Eredivisie, he will come across as a strong and pacey player, um, and it, that that will suit him in the Eredivisie because he can offer something different. Um, whereas, yeah, in the Championship, it's relied on to be that kind of player. Um, but you've seen it as well with a couple of other players, um, Paul Kaladan. Uh, who went from Heracles to Wolves, has had two appearances all season. He's been left out of the squad entirely. Um, new managers have come and gone and still not thought he was up to the championship level. Paul Lambert even said himself, uh, the old uh, Wolves manager, that current Wolves manager, sorry, um, that he just wasn't up to the level of the championship and that his, his fitness to play two times a week wasn't good enough, um, which is probably a bit harsh to say, but... Um, yeah, maybe they, that some some players from the other team don't quite make it in the championship just because of the physicality side, and not because they're not a talented footballer. Oh no, I th- um, uh, I didn't mean it that way. I thought I meant it in his level right now, and he has to develop a lot of sort of other things, um, especially shooting with his weaker foot. Uh, how he sort of moves when when challenging a fullback to sort of get assists and goals because you've seen him driving past fullbacks but he he doesn't have um, 
he doesn't put in the proper final ball, the proper shot, and he really needs to get some assists and goals for his position. He's still quite young, and he, his his last season final proved that there's a talented player in there. And I think um, the uh, player Wolves, I think he was Heracles' second choice striker. Yeah. To Verhorst, and uh, it was on. I think everyone was sort of confused by that move on yeah. the mark of him because he did score the important goal that uh, got them, that won them the Europa League playoff. But he was still on the essence of it, that second choice striker, and uh, I think it was also a matter of a club that hadn't done the scouting properly, and a club that's gone through many managers. So the manager or maybe the um, technical director that brought him in hasn't hasn't remained there and sort of he's um, he's had to and it's also been a struggle for the player and um, um, to like um, evolve under different managers in the, in the same season and in, and adjust to a new league. So um, in that respect. I think uh, also he, he you might see him coming back to the Eredivisie and doing well because there's a lot of clubs that would take him and oh, it's also another chance for him to sort of further develop his talents. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, only, he's only really enjoyed his career at Sparta after them when they're in the Youth League, the second tier. And he, he came to Athens and I think he only scored four goals last season. He scored a couple yeah, start of this before he moved. And a wolf suddenly would pay up, pay a million pounds for him. Um, it's a very strange decision. Um, yeah, I, I think you've seen that a couple of times as well with players like Veldvike, um coming from the second tier. Uh, and yeah, no, I, I can't touch his name. Uh, Parishek from Dakarstark. Yeah, they've they've come back and done well at their respective clubs in the Eredivisie and Erste Divisie. Um, but yeah, the experience in England perhaps wasn't that well expected. You're saying, James? Uh, well, just to elaborate on what you said about Lars Feldweg, uh, Nottingham Forest, I think to turn uh, turn it on its head a little bit, I think uh, Michael uh, Kieftenbeld at Birmingham City is doing quite well. Yeah. And uh, I, I know Birmingham City are struggling at the moment, but I, as far as I'm aware, I th- he's made the step in a in a reasonable manner where he seems to be coping quite well. So there, there are some players um, that appear to be able to cope with it, but I think, again, with scouting and, and, and the championship as well, maybe I think a lot of championship clubs are, are hell-bent on either staying in it or getting out of it, whereas the, the long-term notion of to work to work towards something, I mean, that's why I'm, that's why I'm delighted for Brighton and Hove Albion, because they've, um, they've worked and they've looked to go forward year on year, and now they look as if they're finally going to enter the Premier League next season. And um, I think from a championship club, I think uh, hats off to Brighton in that respect. They've uh, they've settled on an ambition. They've worked towards it. They've not expected it to happen overnight. And um, I think that's quite refreshing, really. I think also a lot of clubs in, in the championship, when buying Eredivisie players, they're always looking for a cheap deal. And yeah. um, when you want a player to come in and perform, they're not going to perform on the cheap and the players that, that are moving to the championship clubs aren't moving to clubs where there's a proper management structure there and um, we saw Danny Holler, he moved to 
Brighton and Hove Albion for free. And I think he, and uh, it was a, a, a time under Sami Hupia where they didn't really have money and they were looking for deals like that. And when they finally got money, he was out of the team and they bought players of a different level. And now he's not, he's back at Peck, but, he, but they've decided against renewing his contract. Charon Cherry was another one. He, he had got a, um, called up to the Dutch national team before moving to QPR. And uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank really knew him well. And um, he was a very talented player. His last season at Groningen was spectacular. And but I think they um, they they didn't use him properly. And um, under and under a new man uh, under a new manager, he's, he's moved away. And they didn't have the proper management structure in place. And the, the squad that he was with was in flux. And uh, it's hard for sort of players to adapt to that. And I think. It, his his move to QPR was lauded because he could have gone to sort of uh, the UAE to sort of make money, but he chose to sort of go to QPR where he could sort of grind it out and hope to make the Premier League. But the club structure didn't allow him to sort of pursue that dream. Yeah, added to what you're saying, actually, um, he did eventually swallow the pill when he did go to China uh, in January. Yeah, <laughs> understandably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the poor management is a very good point, and I'd like to add that as well. Thomas Lum, uh, he at Nottingham Forest, came from Pexwala, in my opinion, a very good player. Uh, better as a defensive midfielder than a centre back. Um, but at Forest, if he he was played at centre back quite a lot, and yeah, the, the change of players all the time, management, nothing was consistent for him. He hasn't performed badly, but at the same time, he hasn't had a consistent run in the Forest first team. And he's still holding his form well for the Finnish national team. So yeah, I think maybe another move for a player like Lam might be good for his career. Um, but, you know, the, these players that are coming over aren't bad players, but maybe sometimes they suffer from bad management and stuff like that and inconsistencies. I think Keith Belt, for example, when um, Gary Rowitz was at Birmingham, he performed excellently in a, in a, in a, in a fantastic team. Um, not going so well now because he was mistakenly sacked. Uh, but yeah, no, he's been one of the best players, Keith and Belt, just a little note on that. One of the best best players uh, in Birmingham. Uh, from, from looking from afar, I think he's uh, I think Keith and Belt has adapted very well. Uh, as regards to Chiron Sherry, he was he was linked with Galatasaray before leaving for Queen's Park Rangers. And uh, there were initial media reports with uh, uh, from Cloningham to Galatasaray. Is that well is that is that a good fit? Would that be a bridge too far? But I think um, I don't know how how concrete the interest was uh, from Galatasaray. But I think uh, hindsight is a wonderful thing. But he could have very well been uh, have been advised to choose Galatasaray over Queens Park Rangers in that respect. I'll just make a final point on the three man city loanies. Um, I think, as has already been mentioned, Unal will make it perhaps in the Premier League, if maybe not with Man City. He has got potential, though, because he's still very young. Um, and Man City could definitely use a striker like him if he's able to be patient to wait out his chance, perhaps next season or season after. Um, although that said, Onel may look one of the loan of Twente. It's been rumoured to be the case. Um, Yeboah, um, he's pacey, very direct, and 
might look for a championship loan. I think he should anyway. Um, his style of play suits the league and he would be a good place to develop his goals and assists as well. Um, as well, and, and yeah, a final point in Chilina, very skillful player. I, I really like him, um, but does he do enough contribution? Uh, he, he thinks that he's, he said in an interview that he's ready for the next level. I'm not convinced myself. Uh, he hasn't proven to be Twente's best player or anything like that. Um, and he's formed from the start of the season, has tailed off. What, what do you think on Chilina? Just a final point in these loanies. I think with Unai, they are as attentive delighted with the, with the season he's had. He scored a spectacular goal at home to Villanueva, and I spoke to Ilunga Dalela, who told me about Unai, and he said that he's an absolute killer in the penalty box. And in terms of um, even in training, he's just here, there, and everywhere, and, and real cool, calm, and collected. So I think, um, and I also think he'd be quite happy to um, to. Um, to remain at FC Twente, I mean, he's also gaining um, notoriety in, in playing for Turkey. And I think he would be advised to stay at uh, FC Twente. And, and I think it's, uh, he's had a very good season at Unal and he's uh, done, uh, done ever so well. Uh, um, I think before he joined FC Twente, FC Twente had a very talented young striker, Yari Osterweich, who I rated quite highly. And I would like to see him. He was so he was loaned out at the beginning of this year. I would like to sort of see him progress as a young Dutch striker. And I think you know the um, twenty have made no secret of the fact that they would like to keep him going into next season. Uh, but I think with how within regards how well he's done and um, um, and how young he is, I think. There could be a lot of other teams looking at him. I think it could be one of those situations where Man City take him for um, the you know, take him for the preseason, and they only decide to loan him out only probably in the in the sort of late August, like what happened with um, uh, Karim Rakik, what they did with Karim Rakik uh, a few seasons ago when he was at PSV. When he was at PSV, because in his first season they they said uh, when he when he went back to Man City, they were so shocked at how much uh, how much he had bulked up in the season that Pellegrini really wanted to have a look at him. So I think uh, um, uh, Guardiola is really going to have a long look at Unal, especially with the confidence that you'll come to you go back to Man City with. And I, I think if he so if he didn't return to um, Twente, I think they they could use the loan market well to sort of look for support for Ustavik, who's a player from the academy and who could really who could really shine at Eredivisie at Eredivisie level and is is a very talented young striker. Shall we switch our attentions to the? Uh... Well, the relative elephant in the room uh, about the Eredivisie, Ajax finals, huge title match, six points between them um, right now for kickoff. Uh, who's going to win? Um, well, obviously it's the biggest game in the Netherlands, and uh, it's one that gains a lot of international attention. With the head-to-head, Ajax are currently in front of Feyenoord, uh, but one 
vital piece of information people mustn't forget is that Feyenoord haven't won uh, um, they haven't won the uh, they haven't won the uh, the classical since January 2012, which is um, almost uh, more than five years ago. And um, I think Ajax will win. Uh, not just saying that in the hope that the uh, title race may even get a little bit more closer. Um, Feyenoord, if memory serves me correctly, they haven't won in Amsterdam since, I think, 2005. And that's 12 years ago. And um, obviously, when they play at home against Ajax, their chances are much more enhanced. But um, I think with Ajax knowing that if, this, if they are going to harbour ambitions to to put real pressure on, then um, then they have to win. I think they will win. I'm going for a 2-0 win for Ajax on Sunday. Yeah, I think Ajax will win too. They're such a different beast at home. They've won 10 of their last 11 games at home. The, the only team that's beat them at home is Willem, Willem uh, Toy at the beginning of this season. Um, I think uh, also the fact that, you know, Ziek, Yunus, uh, those two players who have got a rest, those uh, they haven't got an international duty, as uh, and those are two of the players that have played the most this season. Um, I think uh, it's it's going to be an interesting team, especially uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting game, especially the battles on the wings. I would, uh, I would like to see um, sort of something that. The other teams in the Eredivisie ha- haven't done is I think uh, Nelom's a very defensively weak fullback, and teams don't really challenge him. And when teams, uh, I think last uh, in the last game, Heronveen put Slagvia against uh, Nelom and really targeted him in the first half, and it worked. And they really, really, uh, um, they really used uh, his defensive weaknesses to really get a upper hand in that game and I think last season uh, um, Azit tag- uh, targeted him too and they they targeted him uh, in, when Azit and were at home and they they, they beat Feyenoord comfortably with Janssen scoring a hat-trick. They targeted him to great effect and not enough teams do that and I think I, I think when Cong- when Congolo is not fit, I think they should go for Lucas Vardenberg at left back because he's defensively stronger, um, better in the air, uh, more balanced. And I think they should go for him at left back. And Yunus and uh, Karsdorp on the other wing is another intense battle. And um, and Ziyech uh, against uh, El Amadi. And Klaassen against Villena, those are really intense battles in midfield. And you just hope that uh, I, I, Ajax, I expect Ajax to really pin Twente back as they do against most teams. They're much better at sort of compressing play, sort of winning the ball up high and sort of starting the next wave of attack. Uh, Verkeva and Sanchez have really come along very well as a partnership. They've got... Uh, Veltman and um, and Sinkrav and Fitz so they can play their first choice back back four. Uh, Onana's come along really well as a keeper this season. He got a lot of clean sheets in his first season. Very good ball playing keeper. 
he made that mistake against Groningen, but he's come back from it. Uh, only he's still only 20 years old, and there's rumours in Spain that Villarreal are looking at him as a replacement for Sergio Asenjo. And um, I think um, sort of the the biggest uh, fear you have for Ajax is basically that wastefulness, the ability the ability to miss a lot of chances that is going to bite them soon because. Uh, uh, they, they, so they, they've been wasteful many times of this season, but their quality has seen them through. Um, but in big games like against Feyenoord and against Schalke in, in the few weeks, it's, it's not, they need to be more clinical, especially on the wide players like Bertrand Traore and Amin Yunus, who have been very frustrating for fans this season. Uh, and I, but I still expect them to win this. I, uh, a, a few of the players have got on good rest. Uh, they have Dolberg back, and Dolberg is an essential piece of uh, their puzzle because um, you saw against Excelsior, they didn't really threaten without Dolberg with Triori and uh, Cassier and the second half up front. And I think the more uh, Dolberg is is a key cog not in the attack, but how, how they approach defenses and how they sort of sort of try to break down teams. And I, I, but I, I expect Ajax uh, uh, to win two one. I agree with uh, your points, Jack, about the rest. I think the rest will serve Ajax better than it will Feyenoord because Ajax played a lot of games. I also agree with you about the fullbacks point. Um, with it being tough. Uh, Sorry, tougher final, yeah, uh, for Ajax down that right-hand side. And I also agree that Ajax will win, so I hope this doesn't get a bit, become a boring discussion. Um, but I, I think a point about the fullbacks is on the other side, you've got, I, I would put, if I was Van Bronckhorst, I'd put Count on the right-hand side um, to target Sinclair because for pace, I'm sure he can manage the likes of Bassus Goglu, Berkhaus. But can he handle Count's physicality and aerial duels, for example? Um, I think that's an interesting battle as well. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's quite clever, Michael, because if you put Coit there, then that allows Verhena more freedom. and you, You've suddenly got a situation where you're forcing Yunus um, to come back or you've got a two-on-one situation. Um, and, you know, Verhena um, is so much better when he's got more freedom to roam forward. And... Um, so much, and he's he, he, he's such a tigerish player, and he, he can also pass the ball and shoot from long range. So I think uh, putting Coit against Sinkraven will be will be really good. As and I think that's that's the side that you target as a final team because uh, you know um, Veltman on the other end is sort of a fullback at a centre back at heart, and he's very defensively sound and. He's very defensively sound this season. And also if they go with Kenny Tete, he's also a player that played at centre-back at youth level and he's also another player that's defensively sound. But he's come along very nicely in terms of his attacking play in the periphery under Peter Boss. I think one important caveat is that for such a spectacle, it's such a shame that both... uh, both sets of fans will not be allowed to attend. And uh, many, many years ago, they made uh, they made a decision to have uh, 
Ajax supporters not gaining entrance to the Cup for the game final with Ajax and not to allow final supporters for the uh, into the arena for the Ajax final um, Classica. Uh, I believe the last Classica in uh, where both fans were present was August 2005 and that was when I first moved to the Netherlands and I was at that game and as a spectacle I'd never seen anything like it. It was a, an a, a Amsterdam arena was completely packed to the rafters, uh, the level of uh, ferocious rivalry between the two, even in the warm-up, you know, there, there, were, there were players that were, couldn't even warm up properly due to the um, being booed and being cajoled by the um, by the uh, by the opponents and by the rivalry. Uh, Final won that game two 0 and I remember exiting the stadium and uh, Delacal was in his first spell at the club, and uh, you would have thought he won the Champions League. Uh, it meant so much to the final to, to the final the Legion, as they say, and um, I just think as a spectacle, it's, it's such a shame that they they have tried to get both. Uh, supporters groups from both parties around the table to talk about finding a solution the uh, both city councils of Rotterdam and Amsterdam are both involved but as yet they're uh, they're yet to find a solution and it's, uh, it's such a shame that the biggest game um, in the in the Dutch football calendar cannot be attended by uh, by both sets of supporters I think the the recent Kenneth Vermeer incident where they had sort of a dummy with uh, a sh- with a shirt with his name on the back and and they were sort of hanging it um, at the Amsterdam Arena, um, the Ajax fans last season. It really didn't help anything because um, it was sort of another light shone on, on the sort of hooliganism of some of the fans and how some of them take it too far. And um, um, you've had situations that sort of misunderstandings with the uh, final fans especially against Roma um, in in Europe a few seasons ago that nearly led to them having a, um, a st- uh, having to play in an empty stadium at the at the start of the season where they were sort of accused of racism because of the bananas but um, it was a misunderstanding that the uh, UEFA sort of punished them for that but the fans sort of carry bananas to every game and it's it's a very multicultural place and um, I think uh, the, 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 there's been a lot of talk about how uh, sort of um, the Dutch, the, the KNVB and the Dutch teams need to sort of, uh, sort of uh, discipline their fans. I think the PSV fans in Madrid last season it was sort of, uh, and the stuff they were they were doing with uh, sort of the homeless people. Um, it, it was a bad look, and it was a bad taste in the mouth for Dutch football. And this uh, PSV have come out and said uh, that they are looking at ways to sort of discipline the fans. Fan Martin van Hill, Martin van Hill, the technical director of Fan at the beginning of the season, said that he's looking at, at ways to sort of uh, sort of um, discipline their fans and sort of because the the Eredivisie has sort of this image issue when they go out to Europe with the fans uh, with the anti-Semitic chanting and things like that when uh, I think most of them uh, I think it's most of, most of the fans are good you so um, the Ardo and I think Ardo versus final last season where the where they were 
uh, uh, throwing children's toys to the the final fans, and that that image, those sort of images went viral. But I think uh, it's I think because of that, it's going to be sort of a while before we finally get both fans back into the stadium. But the when 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 the when this the classic was sort of happens at each stadium, the fans of that particular club where the 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 match is being played, they sort of do a good job at fee, uh, at filling the stadium and sort of setting up an atmosphere and and um, the players also sort of uh, do a good job at re- at really getting stuck into the game and really getting emotionally uh, emotionally um, emotional in the game and uh, really. Uh, re, um, and really putting on such a tempo that's that's quite a high tempo for Dutch football, and I think it's going to be a very enjoyable game on Sunday lunchtime. Just to give an example of the rivalry, Amsterdam is uh, Ajax Amsterdam is sponsored by an internet provider called Sigo. Sigo are a um, an internet provider here in the Netherlands. When the customers um, Sigo uh, customers of because uh, it was a fusion between two separate internet providers. Uh, for people that already had a, an internet subscription in Rotterdam, when they learned that Sigo would become the head sponsor of Ajax on their shirts, they uh, relinquished their subscription and deliberately went to look for a uh, another internet provider. It's one of the many reasons why the rivalry runs extremely deep, even in terms of the rivalry. Rivalry between the two cities, where um, Amsterdam is frowned upon from um, frowned upon is, is uh, from from the Rotterdam perspective, and and uh, Amsterdam always look a little bit down towards uh, the workers in uh, in Rotterdam, as they say. So it's uh, it runs extremely deep, and I just think from a uh, from a, uh, a Dutch football fan point of view, it's such a shame that even all the efforts made from Amsterdam City, uh, from both city councils, Amsterdam and Rotterdam, and potential olive branches held out to try and find a resolution, even including the the mayors of both cities, and yet, yet there's been no solution found. And uh, it's uh, it's 12 years since like last uh, since both sets of fans were in attendance. Yeah, I think even Volpo International, when they had uh, Tony Verena as on their cover, they sort of had to. Still, another uh, cover with Davy Klaassen, um in Amsterdam, and they sort of used the Tony Verano one in, in Rotterdam because of the rivalry runs so deep that they they wouldn't they couldn't sell and the Tony Verano one in Amsterdam or the Davy Klaassen one in Rotterdam. So I think, but a rivalry that intense, it's, it's so good for the level of Dutch football because when you play when they play each other or when one of them goes and plays PSV. You get such a such a quality game and such an entertaining game that uh, you may not see in most other games. Yeah, I agree. The, the intensity is going to be massive um, in that match, uh, and I think it's whoever can handle the pressure the most. And Ajax have the, the majority of the pressure on them, seeing as they've got to make up the ground. The away fans aren't there, so it's all the home fans that are going to be. Booing them if they're not if they're not winning because if you want to, there's no excuses and everything seems to be on their side. Um, but it's up to finals really to come up and turn up and get a result. And I think that's what Van Bronckhorst will target a result, uh, not necessarily a win. Um, 
it might make a difference for Ajax as long as they can take the chances that should inevitably come their way because of that. But do you two think that Feyenoord have got it in terms of the long term this season? Do you think they're going to have enough? Um, I think I think if they avoid defeating Amsterdam, I think uh, I think it's highly likely that they'll be celebrating their first title uh, since 1999. And I think the um, the emotion involved in that. I mean, there's there's young final supporters that have never seen their club win the league. I think. Uh, I think how they deal, if they do win the league, the interesting thing will be is how they do deal with uh, with all the plaudits that come their way. The club itself finally winning the title again after many, many barren seasons where they've had so many different managers, so many different um, approaches, so many different um, uh, player turnover, even financial difficulty at one point. They... Uh, uh, they reached the playoff final at some point to, to qualify for Europe in one case and uh, um, were eliminated. They also failed in uh, qualification rounds of the of the Champions League. So uh, if they do win the league, I'll be very interested to see how the club copes with it all because um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a little bit foreign, foreign for them because it's been such a long time. And then it begs the question coming into next season. Okay, this season isn't finished yet, but it uh, it begs the question going into next season, how the club will cope on two fronts. Will they push on and, and, and um, be in a position to win the title again? Will they struggle on two fronts? Will they retreat back to a, a club nearly winning the league, become being here and there? I just think it's uh, very interesting to see what happens. What you said... Uh, I'll go, go ahead, Jacka. I was about to change topic slightly. Um... I think the draws to Excelsior and Groningen are, are sort of going to kill uh, Ajax at the end because they could have been closer. This game could have been more pivotal for them. But there's, I think they've got too much ground to, co- to, uh, to cover and they have to go sort of away to PSV. Well, I think I agree with uh, James and I think the also, you also need to add the fact that you know, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, we have no idea what type of coach he is yet. And he, he he's had this season and um, he seems to be sort of a more cheerleader coach and sort of egging his players on. But uh, we, we have yet to see what actual tactical announce he has. And I think if they sort of lose Nikolai Jorgensen, who's been incredible for them this season top scorer and top assistant league, then it will be interesting to see how they are, they would adapt to that. And use, um, with PSV, uh, you've seen how one summer can change a title-winning team to uh, to sort of a team that's lingering for uh, uh, below the title uh, in third place. So I think um, it's really interesting to see how sort of Van Broncos and Van Hill will, will kick on if they do win the title this season. I think to elaborate on the, the polar opposite of that, if Final do not win the league this season, then I think it's really, really going to hurt the club long term. I think, hypothetically, should they not? Should they finish second? Should something uh, irregular happen where it's a last day win? 
like in 2007 where PSV won the league on goal difference. Should Feyenoord not win the league, I think it will really, really hurt them long term with with having with having having been so long and becoming so so close to being champion and not to be champion. I think uh, I think it will hurt them. So I think uh, I think for the the good of the club going forward, they must ensure that they do win the league and they take the opportunity that's presented that's presented to them this season. Uh, relating to the the Champions League point, um, I personally think that Nico Jorgensen will stay with Feyenoord so long as they're in the Champions League next season, which comes with winning the league. And it relates to this question we had in um, on Twitter uh, about. Will Dutch clubs make a comeback in the Champions League? Uh, I just want to start with my opinion. Um, I think personally, final do get there. They can keep what they have, strengthen it as well. Uh, and I think they could actually become quite a good force in Europe. We've seen it this season, where the home games were so crucial to them. To them. But they weren't totally out of all their away games. Let's forget about the Man United defeat, but they lost 4-0. Um, that was because they had a lack of players that evening. Um yeah, what, what what do you guys think? Do you think that there's um, a potential future comeback in the next five to ten years for Dutch clubs? It's a common question we normally have in, but um, perhaps concentrating on the the the, the, com- the upcoming few years, maybe. Do you think there's going to be an improvement? Uh, well, you can go, James. Thank you. Um, I think you could make the case that um, the Ajax are approving that point this season by reaching the uh, the quarterfinals of the Europa League. Um, if you look back, uh, I think it was back in 2003 when a very young Ronald Koeman reached nearly the semi-finals of the Champions League with Ajax. They were eliminated in the quarter-finals against AC Milan. I don't think that the Ducks teams um, should be written off as they have been in Europe in previous seasons. And I think it also depends who qualifies. It, it wasn't so long ago that Utrecht, when they was in a European group with Liverpool, Napoli and Stoya Bucharest, that they made life very difficult for their opponents. And if it wasn't for goal difference, they would have reached the knockout phase. So I think it's um, be, be interesting to see who qualifies for which uh, competitions, for groups they're drawn in. And I, I certainly wouldn't write that success, success off in terms of progressing further in, in competitions than what they have done in previous seasons? I think uh, the Europa League is sort of the, I've said it on podcasts before that, that's sort of the competitions where you could see Dutch teams thriving again. Um, you saw um, Feyenoord, they'll, they'll 1-0 sort of, up against Zoya, uh, they're dominating, they got, they got a red card and then the, uh, Zoya sort of came back, and but if, if they won the, that game, they could have, they would have certainly gone through to the next round of the Europa League. And um, you've seen PSV uh, sort of been in group. They were in a group uh, with Wolfsburg and United last season, and they 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 came through it. But I think the Dutch teams, the top three, the top four. They have more talent that for the Europa League rather than the Champions League, and um, I think the season before uh, Philip Koku has reached the semi-final of the Europa League before, um, and you also have um, uh, the the you also have uh, I think you have you have the teams in sort of Russia and things like that because. 
PSV uh, Dutch clubs have very uh, um, have a very poor run in Russia, but I think the Europa League is where the, you could see the Dutch teams thrive because you could have a Europa League with Ajax and PSV last season, and you could you could have them progressing and the the sort of younger group that's coming through. I think you're going to see a lot of, of the, the players in the region of 24-25 leaving. And you're going to have squads in between 20 and 23. And I think that's more having sort of deep runs in Europe. That's more viable for the Europa League rather than the Champions League. And the Europa League has, has always thrown up, uh, even though Sevilla have won it, they've thrown up a good... Um, they've thrown up some good uh, uh, runners-up and some good semi-finalists. And I think it's it's a very open league and it's it's that's why it's so entertaining. And there's no sort of hierarchy the same way there is in the Champions League. So you would expect more teams to sort of, more Dutch teams to push on in the Europa League because that's where uh, the young players can sort of do well, play with more confidence. And that's where you meet more teams of uh, more teams that the Dutch teams can play their style against and sort of can sort of can manage and sort of more teams in the on the punching threshold and I I yeah I see the Europa League as where the the Dutch teams will perform better in the coming years. It all comes back down to the coefficient and the last five years have been some of the weakest that the Netherlands have experienced for quite some time. And this season has been uh, a mini recovery to that. And I think that can only continue next season when you see uh, the cup winner in the Europa League group stage so that the bigger teams above that can qualify and reach the stages. Because you see weak teams often drop out before the season's even like, you know, sort of started. Um, I think, yeah, having the, the Dutch team again in the, the Champions League group before that all ends. Um, will help as well. The ultimate aim for the Netherlands should be to get into the top 10 again, as in, as in the top 10 top leagues in Europe. That will help with the Champions League automatic place again. And I, I think it will yeah, be an, a nice recovery actually in the future. I, I hope. I think it will be, it's, it's also due to the fact that Ukraine have so many have teams constantly going into the uh, knockout phase of the Europa League and the Champions League, they were shocked or constantly move into the um, knockout phases of the Champions League that Dnipro, who made it to the final a few seasons ago, they got Dynamo Kiev, who also, who also made a deep run last year. And um, you, you also have, uh, you also have uh, um, teams in Switzerland uh, who also sort of try to make deep runs in the Europa League and you have um, the Belgium clubs the Belgian clubs performing better and you have Portuguese clubs and I think those those sort of it's 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 important to look to have at least someone that's always a team that's always sort of making it to the knockout phases uh, because you saw last season at the beginning of last season Van der Sar and Frank de Boer said we're looking at getting to the um, semi-final stage and they got knocked out at the end of the group they only had one win that they that they won in the, in the second last game of the group stage so I think the, the, it should it should be a gradual process 
and if it's just a, a, a team going into sort of a group looking to get out to the knockout phase of the Europa League or the Champions League and that's how we start to see the coefficient sort of improve uh, with more teams getting through the group stage. You can't deny that those clubs have had perhaps a biased point of view from me but they've had a lot of bad luck in terms of draws matches where they're dominated but lost um, and and uh, as well as bad refereeing decisions um, and that's all congregated to make an awful coefficient position they currently find themselves in and everyone's panicking because Dutch football's failing and it has obviously diminished a, a bit um, but I think looking forwards it's going to get better and I think you are going to see more teams in the Eredivisie keep their best players for a little longer because they can make these deep runs into Europe which is the kind of thing players will look for to stay at the clubs. I think one interesting point about the coefficient you must also remember that in recent years like last season Heracles Almelo played Oruca from Portugal and Heracles in European level through winning the, the playoff suffered stage fright didn't really thought didn't really think that they belonged at that level and, and, and especially in the game against Portugal they they couldn't really bring anything they couldn't even string a pass together we also in recent years had uh, go ahead gaining entry to Europe due to the fair play league when they were last in the Eredivisie and they were absolutely torn apart by Ferenc Varos from Hungary so I think um, strange draws such as Heracles against Aruka and go ahead against Ferenc Varos that hasn't helped the coefficient cause. I think. I mean, I do agree with the uh, the difficult Champions League groups that the um, the teams have found themselves in, and the, uh, the losses to to lower teams, and um, even in the case of Ajax when they played Stoia Bucharest uh, a few years ago and won the first leg and lost the second leg in Romania and, and went out on went out on penalties, I believe. These types of situations. Have also have also ensured that this is the current position that Dutch European um, football finds itself in. Yeah, uh, I agree with James. You also have, also have to have teams doing better in the Champions League qualification phase. It's been uh, I think what five four years since a team last got into the Champions League through the qualification phase, and that means that you have you don't have two teams the Champions League group stages so you're relying on that one team and then that one team gets into a tough group and they get knocked out and so that that really doesn't help the coefficient but I think you have to also say uh, I agree with Michael because of the refereeing decisions you saw at the beginning of this season against Atletico Madrid where where PSV have an early goal denied and it was a stonewall goal for Luke De Jong and that game could have changed that game, changed the outcome of that game slightly. And but I think the most important part is how long teams hold on to their players, how how they recruit. And I think so with Brexit, uh, um, not that there's a good thing to come out of Brexit. Teams could hold on to their players, especially the players in the youth academy, the the creme de la creme of the youth academy. They could actually get a chance to come through to the first first team, and teams could also hold on to their players longer. So, because Britain won't, won't be won't, won't be such a viable option for them anymore. So that means you get more competitive teams and more uh, more competitive leagues, and 
teams could be more competitive competitive in Europe too. So I think uh, in I think uh, I I would see Dutch teams doing well in the Europa, but I think in the next three years you could see teams doing well in the Champions League again after sort of if they can be decide can be decide to restructure the league and things like that. Oh, well, I'd just like to point out one thing. Uh, Azad has sort of signed uh, Arne Slot as the assistant coach, and it's uh, it's interesting because he's the he's one of the two managers in a partnership at Campbell, and Campbell knocked out um, Ajax of the Kenby Becker, and they took uh, they took Azad to penalties. And then the reckoning for uh, the playoff places for promotion, and Arne Slot is he's very highly highly rated, only thirty eight years old, very tactically uh, versatile. He's played he's played three at the back this season, mostly for Campbell. When he took when he took over from when him and Sipke Holsoff took over from uh, Rob Mars, they won eight of the eleven games. After Campbell had only won one away game. The years diversity this season, and uh, I think sort of for the future of coaching in uh, at AZ, you've seen um, Arne Slot sign a three-year deal with the current head coach um, Van der Bommel only be only has one year longer. So I think it could be a sort of succession plan for AZ and a very interesting one at that. So yeah, thanks again um, for tuning in to our podcast, our second one this week. We're back with another podcast next week. Keep an eye out for a special upload tomorrow, Friday. And we'll have plenty more for you available on Football Annie website. Check that out. We've got plenty more coming on our YouTube channel in the coming months. So please keep an eye out for that. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date on all this. And yeah, thanks for listening. Leave a like. Please let us know in the comments what you thought of the podcast. Let us know your thoughts on the Eredivisie. And yeah, we'll be back with you soon with lots more.